Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger. Welcome to the Howie Silberger Show. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Our lines are always open. You can give us a call, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. I'd like to welcome the uh, the listeners uh, that, are, that are tuning in from around the world. We have uh, listeners listening in from around the world. I'd like to welcome them to the Howie Silberger Show and invite anybody who wants to call in to give us a call at 1-877-669-1292. Uh, a couple of things we've got to talk about tonight. Uh, a couple of different things I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to start it off with an uh, article that appeared on the Jewish Telegraph Agency not long ago, just a couple of days ago. Uh, it was written by my friend David Lazarus, who used to work for uh, the Canadian Jewish News, and uh, I guess is currently freelancing, um, <clears throat> after he was uh, unceremoniously let go from the Canadian Jewish News after, after years and years and years of, uh, of, of dedicated service. Anyway, he wrote an article talking about Canada's 380,000 Jews being the most targeted religious minority for hate crimes in 2021. This uh, statistic came from uh, Statistics Canada. It said that the Jewish community, which comprises about 1% of the population of Canada, were victims of 14% of reported hate crimes. Jews saw a 47% rise in reported hate crimes compared to 2020, according to the Bureau. Uh, here's a quote. Uh, Shimon Fogel, the head of the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, said, We are deeply concerned that incidents of hate crimes rose yet again in Canada in 2021. This disturbing trend clearly proves the need for more proactive measures to stop the rising hate targeting diverse Canadians based on their identity. Only black Canadians, who make up about 3.5% of the country's population, reported more hate crimes. Overall, 1.3 Canadian Jews in every 1,000 reported being victims of hate crimes in 2021. Statistically, Canadian Jews were more than 10 times like more they were they were more than 10 times more likely than any other Canadian religious minority to report being the target of a hate crime, Fogel said. This is alarming. Canada's official tally shows the same trend as tallies of anti-Jewish incidents in other countries last year. The Netherlands, France, and the United Kingdom all reported increases uh, of anti-Jewism. While the Anti-Defamation League, a nonprofit in the United States, said it recorded more anti-Jewish incidents last year than any other time since it began tracking in 1979. Statistics Canada cautioned that, that in, in its crime report that uh, fluctuations in the number of reported incidents may be attributable to a true change in the volume of hate crimes, but it might also reflect a change in reporting by the public because of increased community outreach by police or heightened sensitivity after high-profile crimes. Uh, regardless of why more Jews have uh, reported hate crimes, uh, this is an alarming statistic. This is something we should talk about, something that we should know about, something we should, uh, something we should really think about. So if you're thinking that Jews have a 14% uh, a of, of reported hate crimes were Jews, 14%. Jews make up 1% of the population and 40% of the crimes were against Jews. We have to start thinking why. Why, why. why were Jews attacked more than any other minority living in Canada? Now, if you have an idea on this, you can give me a call, one 669 1292 I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think, but I, I'd love to hear what you think, so please feel free to call in, one 669 1292 if you want to get on the conversation. So why, why are Jews the target of more hate crimes in Canada than any other minority? The, the answer to me is simple. Because when we talk about Jew hatred, when we talk about attacks against the Jewish community, when we talk about people who hate Jews, we, we have to understand that Israel equals Judaism. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person who, who, who is a Zionist or you're a Jewish person who's an anti-Zionist or you're a Jewish person who doesn't care about Israel. The, the, the truth of the matter is that many of the attacks against Jews 
are a result of things happening in Israel, a result of the conflict between Jews and Arabs. Uh, I know, I know for a fact that if you go and you ask many Jews who have been victims of hate crimes, who have called in and reported that they were a victim of hate crimes, who have been victimized, and you ask them, what was the what was the big thing that they said to you? What what what, what was their problem? Not many of them are going to say, "Well, Jews are, uh, are 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 using the blood of Christian children to make matzahs." I mean, those blood libels are over a century ago. They they stopped about a century ago. Right now, the blood libel against the Jewish people is the state of Israel. This is the blood libel against the Jewish people. Now, why do I say it's a blood libel? Because it's quite simple. Many, many, many Jews have been attacked. Many Jews have been killed due to misinformation, disinformation, intentional propaganda against the state of Israel. Jews are being attacked in North America. Jews are being attacked around the world because of a propaganda campaign that started in 1963 to malign the state of Israel, the Jewish state, the Jewish homeland, to malign the state of Israel and... Uh, and, and and attach the state of Israel to the Jewish people. Now, now, let, let's get this straight because it, it's not a one-sided affair here. So as the Arabs were building their propaganda campaign and creating a fictional people called the Palestinians, uh, a people that were created in 1963 by the Arab League when they hired a, 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 a an Egyptian man named Yasser Arafat to form the Palestinian Liberation Organization, liberating a people and a land that never existed in the history of mankind. And then successfully went on to fund a, 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 a massive media campaign selling the idea. Media responds very well to money, and uh, they responded very well to Arab money, selling the idea that, these, that, that Jews came and displaced the indigenous people of, of, uh, of the land the land of Palestine, which never existed as a country. That propaganda campaign that started way back in the 1960s created, created a, a, a nation of people. Now, today we can't deny that there's a nation of people, even though they have a fictional background, even though that they were created on a, as, as pawns to try to destroy the state of Israel. We can't deny today that they exist. There's third, fourth generation of people who grew up with this identity, we have, to, we have to understand that this identity exists. And we also have to understand that the lies that were made up over the years uh, concerning the state of Israel, that Israel is committing genocide, that Israel is, uh, is abusing the Arabs, that Israel is, uh, is occupying land, all these fallacies, all these fake things that were made up, all this propaganda that was made up over the, over the years, has affected the way non-Jews look at Jews in the diaspora. There's not even a question about it. It has affected the way non-Jews look at Jews. Now, whether you're a pro-Israel, anti-Israel, it doesn't matter. If you're Jewish, you're equated to Israel. It doesn't matter if you, if you, what your personal belief is. And that's how deep entrenched this, this hatred has been, has been pounded into people through the media. Uh, I teach a course on, uh, on, on media deception and, uh, and, and propaganda in the media. And if you took my course, which will be available publicly uh, sometime soon, I'm still working on how to do this. But uh, if if you if you take my course and you and you come and you actually watch what I'm showing you, you will see clearly that the media's propaganda campaign against the state of Israel and against uh, you know with other things too. But uh, I would focus. Well, it depends on the audience. I'd focus a little bit on Israel if I was a Jewish audience. The media campaign against the state of Israel has changed the attitude of people towards Jews. Now, I'm not saying the Jews were the most loved people in North America before that. I'm not saying the Jews will be the most loved people uh, in North America ever. But the level of hatred towards Jews increased, substantially increased, after the creation of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. It's, it's a fact. It's just, you just got to take a look at history. So, if Jews are being blamed, Jews in the diaspora are being blamed for the perceived sins of Israel, then an attack, a 14% rise in attacks on Jews, seems 
seems uh, seems seems normal. This past year, uh, there has been a lot of conflict between Arabs and Jews in Israel. So, so a fourteen percent of the when fourteen percent of the hate crimes reported in twenty twenty uh, were were against Jews. It seems awfully plausible as a result of things happening overseas. Is it right? No. So how, how do you counter this? Well, you see, like I said, it was, it was a two-way street. Because in the late 1960s, when the Palestinian Liberation Organization was created and the Palestinian people were created, and they started selling this fake story about, about the Jews displacing Palestinians and this, this was uh, ancient Palestine, it, it's all baloney. It's all fabricated. It's all a propaganda campaign to try to destroy the state of Israel. But once that was established, the Jewish community responded. But, but they responded in a way that, that confuses me. It's confounding to me even today. It's absolutely confounding because we continue this, 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 this response. And it's, it's, it's totally, totally confounding to me. So what, 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 what the diaspora Jewish community decided to do and this happened right across the entire North America and parts of Europe. It seemed to have been a, a, a mass decision made by the leadership of, uh, of the community outside of, uh, outside of the state of Israel. What they decided to do, and I'm talking about the community that's more modern, more modern. I'm not talking about the, uh, the Orthodox community. That was a totally separate reaction. But the modern, re- the modern community, what they decided to do was they decided to remove teaching Judaism as a religion in, in schools and started teaching Zionism as the new Judaism. So what do I mean by that? Uh, Jewish schools would, uh, would, 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 would teach Zionism, love of Israel. Israel is Judaism. Israel is Torah. Torah stands on Israel. Israel stands on Torah. You know, organizations like B'nai Akiva would come into schools and, and, they, would, and they would create this atmosphere that Israel is the most important country in the world, that Israel is the place to be, and that Israel is the Jewish state, and we must support the Jewish state with all our heart and all our souls. And this is the propaganda campaign that the Jews started amongst Jewish kids. And it worked. It worked really well. And for the longest time, until today, when you ask a kid in a, uh, in a, in a Jewish elementary school, or you ask a kid in a Jewish high school, to bring something Jewish to show and tell, or to bring something Jewish to show to class, there aren't very many children who are going to show up with, um, with, with, with a, with a, with a talus or with a, with a pair of tefillin. No, no, you're not going to find that too much. You're going to find Jews coming with Israeli flags, coming with some tchotchke that their parents picked up in Israel, something, something related to Israel. This is what you are going to find when you ask them to bring something Jewish. And when you point out to them, that's not Jewish, that's Israeli, they get angry at you. They get angry at you because their entire Jewish identity was built on the state of Israel. Uh, I am Jewish because the state of Israel exists, they were told. If the state of Israel did not exist, the Nazis would come back and destroy us all. The only reason we exist anywhere in the world is because the state of Israel has an army that could defend us. This is what they were told. This is what they were taught. I know it because I was there. I was taught the same thing. I was As I was growing up, I was told the exact same thing. The Jewish community exists anywhere in the world. Jews survive because the state of Israel has an army. If the state of Israel didn't have an army, the, the non-Jews would come and wipe us out. Wipe us off the face of the earth. We'd be gone. That's what I was told. And that's what all Jewish children are told. Now, I don't know if I'm revealing a state secret here. I hope not. But, but that's the truth. That's the honest truth. And because Jewish children are taught that their Jewish identity is interweaved with Israeli identity. Look, it's gotten even to a point where, where, where there's a, there was a huge argument not long ago in the Jewish community about whether anti-Zionism is anti-Jewism. That, that was the big debate. If somebody's anti-Israel, does that mean that they're anti-Jewish? Now, now the, the, the end result was that the community decided at, at some point that, yes, if you're anti-Israel, you are anti-Jewish. So every time somebody makes an anti-Israel comment, the, uh, the Jewish community comes out and says, there is an anti-Jewite, that's a Jew hater. It's not necessarily true, but that's what they yell. They yell, Jew hater, Jew hater, Jew hater. And sometimes the guy says, hey, I- I'm, just, I'm just criticizing the state of Israel. No, if you criticize the state of Israel, you're a Jew hater. 
it's not it's not it's not real it's not true i've criticized the state of israel many many times but you're going to find less of a jew hater than i am i'm not a jew hater at all but i i spent many shows many hours sitting here in the studio and in other studios uh condemning the the government the state of israel years ago after the oslo accords were signed so in the 90s early 90s now i i went and um i organized two two protests in front of the consulate of the state of israel in montreal so i organized two protests in front of the consulate protesting their involvement in the oslo accords i i said this is the beginning of the end of the state of israel and i still believe that 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 was the beginning of the downturn it led to uh led to all sorts of other things, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And so we went to, I went and I protested in front of the Israeli consulate saying, we disapprove. As, as Jews, we disapprove. A uh, local pulpit rabbi came to me and called me an anti-Jewite. He says, if you're protesting against no, no Jew in the uh, diaspora has the right to protest against the state of Israel. I said, well, one second, one second. Let me understand this. So for years, for, for years and years and years, I was raised uh, with the understanding. This, this is what was taught to me in school. This is what was reinforced in synagogue and reinforced everywhere I went. I, it was explained to me that you know, as a Jewish young man, uh, I, I have to support the state of Israel unconditionally. No matter what they do, I have to unconditionally support the state of Israel because all Jews could go back to Israel. We were all part of Israel. Israel's part of us. We're all part of Israel. That's what I'm told. That's what I was told. I grew up learning this. So if that's the case, that we're all part of Israel and Israel's part of us, then why can't I criticize Israel when I, when I believe they did something wrong? Why can't I criticize the government of the state of Israel when I think that they did something detrimental to the Jewish people or detrimental to the state of Israel? If you want me to believe that one is equal to the other, then why can't I why, why why can't I criticize? I could praise it and I could criticize it. So if I'm part of the if I'm part of the big Jewish experiment, then I have a right to talk about the big Jewish experiment. If I'm not part of the big Jewish experiment, then 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 why are you telling me I am? And this is the this is the big question I had. Nobody's been able to answer this question, by the way. So if you want to answer me, you can give me a call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Join in the conversation. I I'd love to talk to you. So so, here we are. So so I'm at, I was at a crossroads as a kid. I was at a crossroads. I said, all right. I protested. Now I got I got I got I got I got, I got yelled at by a rabbi. The rabbi yelled at me and said to me, "How could you do that? You you are anti. You know, if you're going to protest the state of Israel, you are an anti-Jewite." And I said. I'm not really an anti-Jewite. I, I, I love the Jewish people. The Jew, I, I am part of the Jewish people. The Jews are my people. I love the Jewish people. I've devoted my entire life until up till then, even up till today. I've devoted my entire life working for the Jewish community, uh, fighting for the Jewish community, getting on the radio and, and, and arguing for the Jewish community and fighting for Judaism. Now, when I say fighting for Judaism, I don't necessarily mean the state of Israel. I mean Judaism as a, as a religion, Judaism as a culture, Judaism as, as a living, breathing, as living, breathing entity. I, I spent the majority of my life in the public, on the forefront, fighting for this, fighting to protect Judaism, fighting for Jews to protect themselves, fighting for Jews to get more involved. This is all I've done for years. Yet, there are Jews who are still calling me anti-Jewites, still calling me names, still not talking to me because they disagreed with something I said on the show. That's fine. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. Uh, and the reason I have open lines is in case you don't agree with me, you can always feel free to call in. The, the lines are always open, one 669 1292 Lines are always open. You can always feel free. If you disagree with something I say, even if you agree with me, you can call in. We could talk about it. That's why I have open lines. It always it always bothers me. Uh, it bothers me just 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 so much when I, I go through a show and you know I get one call, two calls, three calls sometimes, and then I get fifteen or twenty emails or, or messages on Facebook or, or text messages of people yelling at me. How could you have said that on the show? Who are you? Who do you think you are? What are you talking about? When I, I get those messages, it infuriates me. 
The reason it infuriates me, it just means to me that they, they listen to the show. Now, I'm not talking about people who listen to the show on the podcast or people who listen to the show uh, on a replay. I'm talking about people who listen live to the show and then didn't call in. Uh, it infuriates me when they when they comment, you know, minutes later on, on social media or wherever, they comment and tell me that they didn't agree with what I said. If you didn't agree with what I said, call in. That's that's why I have open lines. Feel free to use them. I pay for them. You might as well use them. one 669 1292 I'm not even shy about giving out the number. Feel free to call in. So we'll go back to uh, the, the fact that, you know, that Jews ha- have reported more hate crimes than any other minority. Uh, another reason that this could have happened is because Jews are more apt to report these hate crimes than, than non-Jews. Uh, we've, we've been victims for a very long time. And if we feel safe or, or unsafe in the, in the lands that we live in, we tend to trust the authority figures. I don't know why. But we tend to entrust in, in, in authority figures to protect us. I am still unbelievably confused as to why every school in the city, a Jewish school in the city, doesn't teach children martial arts. And why that isn't a, a federation-funded uh, activity. I don't get it. I don't understand why we don't have martial arts being taught to our children in schools. We see in New York, just the last couple of weeks, last two weeks in New York, tons of Jews have been attacked in broad daylight, again, on the streets of New York. This happens every summer, and every summer I get on here, and every summer I scream about it, and every summer it happens, Jews again are being attacked on the streets of New York. And the NYPD is doing very little to stop it. The... um, the, 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 New York, the New York government has done very little to stop it. But the streets of New York City have become relatively dangerous to Jews at the beginning, at the beginning and the end of the summer. And, and so Jews are being attacked again on the streets of New York City. Now, when you watch video after video after video of young kids, some of them as young as 11 and 12 years old, I mean, I saw a video yesterday that, that looked like they, they looked like they were t- between 11 and 14 years old. The kids chasing two Jewish men down the street and stealing one of their hats. And I, can't, I couldn't help but think, I couldn't help but, but, but imagine that if these Jews that were there would have learned martial arts growing up, they could have turned around and they could have fought back. Imagine how different the imagery of Jews would be if every Jew was able to defend themselves and when they were attacked in the streets, they turned back and they fought their attackers. Imagine how much less hate crime reporting there would be if the Jewish community grew a backbone and actually fought back. It, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that when people put themselves on the front lines and say, I'm going to fight back, I'm going to defend the Jewish people, and when, when violence is necessary, I'll use violence to defend the Jewish people. When someone goes out and says something like that, they're considered a radical crazy. Oh, we've got to stay away from that guy. Ban him. Throw him out. Ban him. Oh, no, you can't come into the Federation building. But when someone says, hey, you know, we've got we to gotta negotiate. We've got to work it out. We've got to talk. We, gotta, you know, we, we, can't, we can't be rash. Then they're the heroes. I don't get it. I don't get it. If the Maccabees didn't fight, the temple would have never been rededicated. Every example in the Torah, every example in the Bible, when the Jews are crushed by the oppressors, the Jews fought back physically, morally, religiously. And the Jews won because they defended themselves, because they didn't bow to their oppressors. Every time we don't teach, every minute, every day that we don't teach our community how to defend themselves, every minute that we don't teach our community how to fight back, whether it's verbally, physically, or any other way, we're capitulating. We're giving up. We're letting the enemy win. That's a horrible position to be in. And that's why Jews keep getting attacked. That's why Jews 
are victims. We depict ourselves as victims. We like being the victim. We have some kind of we have some kind of uh, of complex. We're Jews like being victims. I don't like being a victim. I don't like being part of victimhood. I, I don't buy into this whole, you know, the more you're victimized, the stronger you are. Baloney that's happening in the world today. I, I believe we should be victors. Now, where does this whole victimhood thing come from? Well, it's quite simple. It's quite simple. And 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 and, and I know people are going to get upset by me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to keep saying it because it upsets people. And that's fine. You can be upset about this. Doesn't bother me. Be as upset as you want. The victimhood imagery of Judaism comes from our Holocaust museums. Comes from the way we educate kids about the Holocaust. Now, it is important to educate kids about the Holocaust. It's important to talk about the Holocaust. It's important that our kids understand uh, that we were that we were oppressed, that we were killed, that we were murdered. They have to understand what the what the what the what the concentration camps were. They have to understand what the crematorias did. They have to understand what the gas chambers were. They have to understand how the Germans were able to convince the entire the entire population of Europe to turn against the Jewish people. Yeah, they have to understand all this. This is stuff that is very important to understand. But you know what else they have to understand? And this is something that we don't teach them, that we should be teaching them. They have to understand that there were, there were groups of Jews who fought back. They have to understand that there was life, there was Jewish life in Europe before the Nazis that was destroyed. They have to understand that by us being here today and talking, me and you, if you're Jewish, we are the victors, not the victims. People get angry at me. People get really, really angry at me when I say we were the victors of the Holocaust. I remember I did a show uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago on uh, Radio Shalom. And uh, and I, I made this argument. I made the same argument I'm making right now. Now we have to start depicting ourselves as the victors. We have to stop showing j piles of dead Jews and bulldozers pushing them into mass graves. We have to start showing pictures of Jews who were in the resistance, Jews with guns, Jews with hammers, Jews with pitchforks, who fought back against the Nazis. We have to start making heroes of the Jews that fought back. Uh, you know, There's only two or three Jews you could name that were rebels that fought back. But there are hundreds of thousands of them that did. And we, start, we, should, make, we should be making heroes of those people. Remember, remember the dead, of course. But remember the people who stood up for the Jewish people who tried to defend us. So a guy calls up and says to me, Howie, you can't say these things. My parents were Holocaust survivors or victims of the Holocaust. And, uh, and by you saying this stuff, it's insulting to their memory. It is? I'm not saying let's forget the victims, God forbid. We have to remember that we were murdered, that we were massacred. This is something we have to remember. At the same time, we have to remember that there were strong Jews that they're willing to defend the Jewish people. And they weren't radicals. They weren't crazies. They were people who were, had conviction, people who believed that you could stand up against injustice, that you could stand up and fight for your rights and fight for yourself and fight for your people. There were people who believed that there are things that are more important than your life, that you could put your life on the line, you put your life in the forefront and on the line when your people, your religion, and your nationality and your, your, your culture is at stake. When people come up today and say that they want to defend the Jewish people, that they will stand on the streets and they will fight the Jew haters, those people are considered crazies. They're considered lunatics. Years ago, I've told the story before. I'll tell it again. I love it. I love it. I, I, I'm sorry I keep repeating stories, but, but this, is, this is what it is. Years ago, there were little old ladies being beaten up while walking in a certain community in Montreal. Little old Jewish ladies. They were being beaten up. They were being robbed. And so uh, one day, one day I heard that uh, there was an 80-year-old lady who was walking to, uh, to a supermarket. 
And on her way to the supermarket, her, her house was three blocks away from the supermarket. She was walking up the street to go to the supermarket. She was attacked by a bunch of thugs. They beat her up. They broke her arm. And they stole her purse. And I said, this is terrible. How could we possibly, how could we possibly stand by and, and, and allow this to happen? And so I, I spoke to some of the, some of the more active Jews that, that, that were in Montreal at the time. And they told me, let the police handle it. Why do you want to get involved? Let the police handle it. It's a police matter. Don't, don't, don't bother me. It's a police matter. So I went and I uh, had my group Save All Jews Everywhere at the time. And I went to one of my members and I said to him, hey, look, we can't, we can't allow this to happen. We have to do something to stop this, 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 this craziness. And so we decided to set up the Jewish Security Force. Now, the Jewish Security Force wasn't the JDL. It was a Jewish Security Force. And our only objective was to walk Jewish ladies from their homes to the supermarket. A walk-safe program. They had them on campus. They had them on all the university campuses had this. It was a walk-safe program where, where, where if, you were, if you were fearing walking through campus at night, somebody would walk with you. And so this is what we, this is what we arranged. And we set up the Jewish Security Force, and then we asked for volunteers, for university students to volunteer. And we got about 3,000 people who were willing to volunteer right across the city. And so we started training them in self-defense. We had, we had a couple of people who were willing to train for free, and we trained people for free in self-defense. And they were showing up in droves. Uh, we, we had to turn them away at the door. We didn't have enough room in the room that we were renting in order to, to accommodate all these people who wanted to learn self-defense to go and help uh, protect the Jewish people. Thank God there were so many people who wanted to be part of this. A few weeks after we started this, one of the newspapers got a hold of the story, and they decided to run the story. And they, they spoke to me, and they spoke to, uh, they spoke to the guy who was running it, and uh, it was a Russian immigrant who was a black belt in, uh, in Krav Maga. And, and they spoke to him, and they published the story. That's where the trouble began. Now, the trouble didn't begin with the police. The trouble didn't begin with the, with the, with the thugs on the street. I got a call one day from, from a detective sergeant at the, at the Montreal Police Force who asked me to come down and see him in his police station. So I went down to the police station to meet with the detective sergeant. He looked at me and he said to me, uh, we hear you're starting a Jewish security force. And I said, yes. And he said, well, what, what's the purpose of this? And I explained to him, little old ladies are being walked, are being you know, beaten on the street. And I understand the police have, uh, have, have increased patrols in the area, but the police can't be there every second of the day. They, they can't be everywhere all the time. So when the police can't be there, we will. We're, we're going to be a secondary you know, patrol, not the police department. And if there's a major problem, we're going to call the police. But we're going to be a secondary patrol. We're going to protect the old ladies walking to the supermarket. The cop looks at me and says to me, well, how do you propose that you're going to protect them? I said, well, my people are learning martial arts they're learning uh, self-defense and the idea behind them learning self-defense is that if somebody comes to attack them they could defend the old ladies they're, they're not there to be aggressive they're not going to be aggressive they're just there in case somebody comes to attack the old ladies police officer looked at me and said to me well you know you're not breaking any laws but we're going to watch you very closely I said okay and then he followed up with if you step one step out of the line, we're going to arrest you and we're going to throw the book at you. I said, fine, you do what you have to do and I'll do what I have to do. And we got up and we left. Well, because that didn't work, a couple of days later, I got a call from CSIS, the Canada Security Intelligence Service, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FBI. And they wanted to meet with me. So for them, I had my lawyer call them and try to work things out and never worked out, never met with them. But they followed me forever. They were calling me at three in the morning. They were, they were harassing me. And I, I was wondering, why are these people bothering me? Uh, we're just trying to help the Jewish community. Then I got a call from B'nai B'rith. The exec director of B'nai B'rith called me. He said, could you come down and meet me in my office? And I said, sure. And I went down to the B'nai B'rith office. And at the time, Canadian Jewish Congress still existed. 
And I walked in, and there was the exec director of B'nai B'rith and the exec director of Canadian Jewish Congress sitting at a table. Now, these two organizations were diametrically opposed to each other. They never sat at a table together. And here they were sitting at a table together. I was like, oh, okay. And they looked at me, and they were totally honest. They said, you can't continue with the Jewish security force. So I said to them, why not? They said, because it's dangerous for the community. How is it dangerous for the community? All we're doing is walking old ladies from their home to the supermarket and back to their house, making sure they don't get attacked in very identifiable T-shirts. Uh, we were wearing shirts that, that clearly identified us. How is this dangerous for the community? And I was told, you got to understand, if we didn't do it, it's dangerous for the community. Stop doing it or you'll have big trouble, much bigger than you've already had. The second he told me that, I knew that that, that it was either Canadian Jewish Congress or B'nai B'rith that called the police and that called CSIS. They were trying to stop us. And one has to wonder, when Jewish hate crimes are happening, when people are being attacked and, and, and Jewish ladies are being attacked and you want, to, you want to protect them, and then your own Jewish organizations are turning you into the police, you have to wonder, what's the motive? What's the idea? And it took me years to figure it out. I didn't figure it out right away. I was young. I was naive. I still thought at the time that Jewish organizations existed to help the Jewish community. I was so naive. It was, it was unbelievable how, 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 how naive I was. And I honestly believed that Jewish organizations existed to help the Jewish community, that they cared about the welfare of the Jewish community. It took me a couple of years to realize, a couple of years after this, by the way, we had to stop the Jewish security force um, because uh, the the Russian guy that I uh, that that was training everybody for us, he uh, he was coordinating the training for everybody. Uh, he was threatened with deportation. They threatened to throw him out of the country if he didn't stop his activity. And his father worked for the Cirque du Soleil, and uh, it, it became a big, almost international incident. So he had to quit the group, and then we had to shut the group down, which is a shame. <coughs> but it took me a long time to figure out that hate crimes, attacks against the Jewish community, are not discouraged by our Jewish organizations. Oh, we're saddened by this. We are, we are shocked. <coughs> Excuse me. We're saddened. We're shocked. But we're going to raise more money and be able to protect you. If there are no hate crimes against the Jews, if there is no imminent threat against the Jewish community, why would organizations like B'nai B'rith, the Center for Israel and Jewish Advocacy, the Simon Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, the Anti-Defamation League, why would they exist? What would be their purpose for existing? The only reason they exist is because there are attacks against Jewish people. It's because they, they, there's this, this, this idea that there's a threat against Jews. So if somebody's there, if somebody comes along and says, all right, there's a threat against a certain particular part, part of, you know, a certain particular group of Jews, we're going to solve that problem by creating a Jewish security force, and we're going to raise money to do this, and we're going we're gonna to do it the way we have to do it. Well, you're stealing their thunder. And when you steal their thunder, they're not very happy. And that's essentially what we did. We stole their thunder. I used to get condemned. We used to get condemned. University students got condemned by Canadian Jewish Congress and B'nai B'rith almost every week. They used to condemn us in the Canadian Jewish News, in the, in the Gazette, anywhere they could. We would be condemned because we had rallies in support of uh, the release of Jonathan Pollard. We had marches against anti-Jewism in Canada. We had uh, we, we we boycotted the Gazette, a very successful boycott, by the way, uh, of the Gazette when when they were really being anti-Israel. Uh, we got condemned, 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 continuously condemned, and one has to wonder why, why, why would you discourage people from standing up for Israel, standing up for the Jewish people? Why? A couple of years ago, 
Now, now if you think this was the past, and I'm living in the 90s, a couple of years ago, two Jewish boys walked into an Israel apartheid event at Concordia University. They were wearing Israeli flags. The the event was called uh, Israel, the genocidal state or something. They were wearing Israeli flags. And they were yelling, Israel, uh, Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. And they walked in and they took over the event. They, they, they walked up to the speaker's lectern. They were louder than the microphone. And they took over the event. And they started a big screaming match at Concordia University. Security came running. Uh, they were there. It caused a big kerfuffle, and it delayed the event for for, for about an hour as they were trying to f- fix the whole thing up, and then uh, security took them away, and they escaped, and it was a, it was a whole big deal. I, I happened to have been there. Uh, I was uh, I was in a course at Concordia, and uh, I happened to just walk over and, uh, and, and, and witness the event. When that event ended, when that event ended, the... Um, uh, a couple of days later, I ran into one of these pulpit rabbis here in Montreal. And he came to me and he said to me, Hey, Howie. He says, Why did you organize those guys to go and, uh, and, and, and do what they did at Concordia? <laughs> I looked at him and I said to him, I didn't organize them. He says to me, he says to me, next time you want to organize guys like that, come talk to me first, right? Because, you know, we don't pay attention to these anti-Israel apartheid events because uh, if we give them the attention they want... They get the publicity. So if we don't give them attention, they don't get publicity. So in other words, if somebody's yelling, kill the Jew, and somebody's yelling, I want to kill the Jew, let's kill the Jew, kill the Jew, kill the Jew, kill the Jew, if we ignore them, they'll go away. Well, that, my, my experience with our enemies is that's not really how it works. I don't know. I might still be naive. I, even my old age, I might still be naive. But in my experience, that's not really how it works. Let's go to the phones. Hi, Fanny. Hey, Howie. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I am good. How are you? I'm awake still, so... Oh, I'm sorry for keeping you up, Fanny. I mean, I guess that's my (laughs) job. On occasion. Um, You know, you're talking about your activist years in Montreal, and I think we've discussed this previously. It reflects so much on my activist years in Cleveland. It's like the same types of things. I mean, different things, but the same types of results and reactions. Possibly not... We weren't threatened. We were told to stop doing certain things, um, but we were never threatened. Not that I'm aware of, but we weren't threatened. But they did make our life difficult, and we made theirs difficult. Uh, but one of my favorite stories is, uh, you probably remember the trial of Ivan Demonyuk. Yeah. He was from the east, uh, west side of Cleveland, and the Jews mostly lived on the east side. And, uh, well, when Ivan went to court for his deportation hearing, a bunch of uh, our Beitar youth group decided we're going to go down there and protest because we knew that the the Ukrainian community was going to be out there and they were going to be supporting him. So we went down there. We were told by Federation, our leader was told by Federation, don't go, we don't think it's a good idea, yada, yada, yada. We went... And the minute we show up, these guys start throwing their placards down an alley because hmm. so the cameras were coming, and they didn't want any of them, us and them, to see the signs that they had up supporting Demonyuk. So we're out there with our signs, uh, you know, asking for him to be deported, saying he's a Nazi, the whole ten yards. And um, somebody from the Canadian, uh, I'm sorry, Cleveland Jewish News comes and takes our picture. Now, the Cleveland Jewish News is also funded by the Cleveland Federation. Big surprise. Now, we were told not to go and not to protest. We did go. We did protest. Our picture was taken. And do you know what they used our picture for? To promote advertising for subscriptions. (laughs) Pictures of us protesting after we were told not to. Amazing. And us holding signs and like the, the news you need to know in Cleveland, you know, the Jewish news you need to know. And they used it for years. And I'm like, what a bunch of hypocrites. And, and that's that's generally what they are. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I just you know after after those two boys went and uh, and disrupted the uh, the 
the uh-huh. Arab thing at Concordia a couple of years ago. Uh, after that, rabbi yelled at me. I mean, there were a couple of articles written about it, and then the, uh, the rabbi yelled at me. I, I couldn't help but think, okay, so he's yelling at me because I didn't speak to him first because he wanted to do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I stole his thunder, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is what it is. Uh, you know, everybody's out there for the ego. Nobody's out there for the community, and this is what really bothers me about this whole thing. Yeah. Well, we did the thing uh, at Pesach and Rosh Hashanah where we were, we stayed in the neighborhood where the butcher shops, kosher butcher shops, kosher bakeries were. We had two or three people at each store. We helped them take it to their car. We made sure they got where they needed to go. And we did the patrols. We were also told not to go. But we did. It was something we did every year. Did they ever give you a reason why you shouldn't go? Uh, it, it might cause more trouble. How? How? Because we'll attract the the bad things, the the bad people. They'll see that we're there, and they'll start up with us. So, so by trying to help people not get attacked, you're going to provoke more attacks. Yeah. That seems so backwards. Yes. It just, it just seems like such backwards thinking. Yeah. Um, you know the uh, you, you know there was there was a problem in New York in the uh, in the in the late sixties early seventies on the on the subways where people were being attacked on the subways, and, and one guy decided that you know he he had enough of this, the police weren't doing anything to stop it, and he formed the Guardian Angels. Now the Guardian Angels didn't attract more people. In fact, when they started beating up the thugs on the subway and sending them to the hospital while protecting other people, uh, the thugs started understanding that you know the subway is not the place to go to to bother people. Exactly, and I remember the, that those incidents. So, so I, I, I don't understand the backward thinking that you know when you have a strong Jew standing there and saying, "No, no, no, you're coming to attack us." No, that's not going to happen. I, I don't get me started on the strong Jew. They don't want us to be strong Jews. We're supposed to be followers and have a very ghetto mentality. And no, I don't buy that crap. Didn't buy it then. Don't buy it now. And. Uh, it's just not the way I think. Not the way you I know? think either. We need to be strong and Jewish. It, and set a good example of what a, that a Jew is a good person. Every time a Jew goes and does something, I'm going to use the word naughty, yeah. um, <laughs> or breaks the law, it reflects bad on the entire community. It does, because people tend to generalize. Exactly. And, and when we make folk heroes out of criminals... That sets a really bad example for the community, and that happens a lot in the Jewish community, unfortunately. Yeah, it does. It's a shame, you know. Chaval, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, what you do is, uh, as individuals, we could change it. One person could change the world, as they say. Uh, oh, yeah, what's that just, girl, Malawa? Yeah, it's just, a, it's just an uphill battle, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I've been screaming on the radio for, what, almost, almost 28 years, 29 years. And uh, I don't think I've changed. I don't think I've moved very much in all, in all these years. You've made people uncomfortable, and you've made some people think. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But I mean, if I can make one person think and change their opinion, and 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 try to courage, I mean, that, that's that's all I could ask, ever hope for, right? You and may then, have. Sometimes you never know. Then then all these years on the radio were worth were worth the effort. Yeah, you keep the community informed. I try. Fanny. Yeah, so what's the story with Radio Shalom? They they sold their license to a Christian uh, radio station. It is extremely sad. Radio Shalom's uh, the story of Radio Shalom is extremely sad. Uh, an egotistical man, a purely egotistical man who did this for his own ego, not for the community, set up a Jewish radio station, built it as a Jewish radio station, raised money as a Jewish radio station, and then decided he didn't raise enough money even though he had more than enough to cover the radio station, to cover the expense of the radio station, decided to shut it down and give it to the Christians because the Jews weren't supporting him. Very sad. Very sad. And, and there, uh, was a, there was a buyer, wasn't there? I, I approached him numerous times, offering him hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy it. Uh, other people have approached him to buy it, and uh, he's absolutely refused. He, he told me straight out to my face and said to me, uh, if the Jews didn't support me, they don't deserve the station, so I'm not giving it to a Jew. And at the end... Wow, that's at, nasty. At the end, his, uh, 
his filings to the CRTC, the filings last week to the CRTC to transfer the license to the Christian, said that he sold the station to them for zero dollars and zero cents. So essentially, really? essentially, he's giving it away to the Christians instead of allowing the Jews to rebuild it and build a nice Jewish station there. It is a uh, extremely sad. It is extremely. Uh, it's pathetic. It's petty, and uh, and 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 I, I'm I'm almost I'm almost embarrassed at the moment. Uh, at this point, I'm almost embarrassed to say that the show was on that station for a while. That we were yeah, duped into the scam. Well, it sounds like, uh, well, I failed. I'm not going to let anybody show that they can actually do it. Yeah. So, I mean, an egotistic, he held the license hostage. Even though he was renting it to the Christians, he held the Jewish license hostage for years. As we asked him to give up the Jewish license, just get a Christian license. Change the... Change the um, Change the aspect of your license. Somebody else could apply for a Jewish one. He refused to change, you know, change the station away from being a Jewish station for years and years and years, and held the license hostage just to give it up to the Christians. So there you go. Well, you're not allowed to have more than one Jewish station at a time. The CRTC would never approve more than uh, more than one, especially if one station was failing. They wouldn't. They wouldn't approve a different, a second station. Uh, what makes you think you succeed when he when he failed? That's the. Uh, that's the How thing. many Christian stations are there in the city? Just one. Well, this, oh, okay. This is an evangelical station. I don't know if there's other Christian stations. This is an evangelical station, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand the differences either. But, but uh, it's just it's just a shame because there was such potential there, and there was uh, there was there was really uh, if if it had gone to the right hands, it could have been a very big success. But um, true. What can we do? It had potential, and there were people who listened. There were people who listened, and there were people, there were many people in the community who wanted to help and who wanted to bring their expertise and their, uh, and their know-how and wanted to do stuff to make the station successful and were rebuffed by an egotistical maniac who decided that, uh, that it was his way or the highway and he didn't care what anybody else had to offer. So, yeah, it's too bad. It's extremely sad. And, and if he gets mad at me for saying this about him, well, the, the truth hurts. I, I, I <laughs> I apologize. The way they treated me and the way they treated my show and the way they treated the people who were volunteering and working with me, um, they don't deserve any respect at all. Well said. Fanny, thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate it. Pleasure. It was fun talking to you, Howie. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. I think that's it. I think we're, we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, I'll be back in about an hour with Political Hitman. Hopefully my voice will last a little longer than it lasted with this show. Um, in about an hour, around midnight, we'll be on with Political Hitman. Uh, it airs on Israel News Talk Radio. It'll also air here. So I hope you could join me for that. Uh, until tomorrow, I bid you a good night. <laughs>